Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Joshua. Joshua chapter 24, if you would. Joshua 24. And what we're going to read is part of the closing speech or the last recorded speech that uh, Joshua gave to Israel before they, they went into, you know, before, actually the, the, the last speech that he gave that is recorded, period, uh, before Israel. And let's all stand together, if you would, Joshua chapter 24. In Joshua 24, I want you to look with me down in verse 14. We'll read down through verse 18. He's challenging the, the, the folks after they have spent some time battling uh, in, the, in the promised land. In verse 14, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord." And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for the Lord our God he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you for each one that is, that is here. And God, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts and challenge our hearts tonight to want to continue to serve you and make a determination in our hearts to do so. Uh, Lord, uh, we, we thank you for the examples that you give us in Scripture, not only the positive ones, like Joshua, but even the negative ones that we can learn from and learn, Lord, not to go in that direction. But Father, we pray that you would just once again reiterate in our own hearts the importance of determining on purpose to serve the Lord. We pray your blessings upon this time in your word, and we ask God that the word of God would uh, do the work that it's intended to do in each and every one of our hearts for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this is the last, last speech that, that Joshua gave that was recorded. And this is a speech coming off of victory. They had just seen battle after battle after battle. They'd seen victory after victory after victory. But Joshua was concerned, and you can see it. You can see it in the, in the way that he addressed the people. He was concerned for the people because he, he understood what they were capable of. He knew what they were capable of as far as victory, and he also knew what they were capable of as far as sin goes. And in verse uh, chapter 23, he talks to the leaders, and in chapter 24, he talks to all of the people. And one of the things that he did in this speech is that he reviews the blessings of God in the past. 
And if you'll look with me down through some of these verses in verse 3, he says, And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the, the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. He reminds them that uh, he took Abraham out and he led him. He gave him a promise, but he led him every step of the way. Verse 4, I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and I gave unto Esau, Mount Seir, to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Uh, again, he lets them know that uh, he gave Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. He gave unto Esau, Mount Seir. And he's talking about the, the blessings that he did for, for the nation of Israel in the past. Verse 5, he says, I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. I sent Moses also and Aaron. In other words, he sent them to be the deliverers for, for Israel. He plagued Egypt, and then he brought them out. It wasn't Moses, and it wasn't Aaron who brought them out, but it was God who brought them out, and he's reminding them of it. Verse 6, he says, And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And again, uh, the reason why they escaped the slavery in Egypt was not Moses and Aaron, but it was God. God was the one who brought them out and delivered them out of slavery. Look down in verse 8. I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand that ye might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Three things he talks about there. He says, I brought you into the land of the Amorites. I gave them into your hand, and I destroyed them from before you. He, you know, he lets them know that I brought you there, I gave them to you, you destroyed them, but you destroyed them because of me. I was the one who gave you that victory. Down in verse 10, he says, but I would not hearken unto, but I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still, but I, so I delivered you out of his hand. Um, again, they were delivered because of God, and God was the one who gave them that victory and that deliverance. Verse 11, it says, uh, uh, And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, uh, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Gergesites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. Um, in verse 11, again, he's, he's reminding them what he did for them. He's saying, listen, I, the reason why they were defeated was because I was the one who gave them to you. I delivered them into your hand. Verse 12 says, and I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. It wasn't their weapons that did it. It was his weapon. And the weapon that he used was just simple hornets. And he said, I sent the hornet before you. And then verse 13, he says, And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted uh, not do." Do ye eat? In other words, he's, he'd given them the land, and he said, 
This was not land that you worked. This is land that I just freely gave to you. So what he's doing here before he challenges them to serve the Lord, he reminds them of what God had done for them and what God was to them. Think about what God has done for you. You know, God has done a lot for us as his people. If you're saved, if you're a child of God, there's a tremendous amount of things, regardless of whether you've been saved a long time or a little time, uh, there's, there's, there's a tremendous number of things that God did for you, you did not do for yourself, he did it all. You think about this, at salvation, what did God do? At salvation, God made you a child of God. And that, that to me is just an amazing thing. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. When we, when we trust Christ as Savior, we're born into his family. We go from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. What a miraculous, wonderful thing that is. And God did that. Uh, he, he gave you an inheritance. And you can read about that in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2 and even Ephesians chapter 3. Um, in the beginning of Ephesians, he talks about the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with us and it has everything to do with Christ. And it's an eternal inheritance. He gave you eternal life when, when you got saved. He, he didn't just give you the prospect of eternal life. He gave you eternal life. And, and the, the amazing thing about that is eternal life, and I try to, try to emphasize this uh, to folks uh, after they get saved, eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life started the moment you trusted Christ as Savior. And as soon as you trust Christ as Savior, from that day forward, you are going to live forever with him because he's forgiven you all your sins and he's given you eternal life. The Bible says in my father's house, Jesus said, if my, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will doubtless come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. So you have a mansion waiting for you up there. You say, what? How, how does that whole thing work? I have no idea. I, you know, I have heard all kinds of theories and ideas and, and uh, uh, you know, thoughts about what that, what that mansion is. I know this. It's not a condo. Amen. It's not a, uh, it's not a little apartment somewhere. The Bible says it's a mansion. And, uh, and again, you did nothing. It's got your name on it. I mean, it's yours. It's already there. It's waiting for you. You did nothing. Um, when God saved you, he made you a priest. That means that you have complete and total access to God anytime, anyplace, anywhere. 24-7, you now have access to God because that's what a priest did. A priest went to God on behalf of the people. You don't need to have a priest because the Bible says you are one. He, at the moment of salvation, and this all happened the moment you got saved. At salvation, he took you and placed you into Jesus Christ. By the way, in, uh, over there in Romans chapter 6, where it says we're baptized into, into him, uh, that's, not talking about, that's not talking about water baptism. There's no water mentioned anywhere in, in uh, Romans chapter 6. That's speaking of the fact that when you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, God placed you, God baptized you 
into Jesus Christ. And that's why over in Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that we're seated in heavenly places by Christ Jesus. Why? Well, because he's seated in heavenly places. You're in Christ spiritually. So therefore, you're already there. It's not a matter of uh, will you go to heaven. Your place is already secure because you are in Jesus Christ. That happened at salvation. At salvation, God gave you the Holy Spirit of God. He placed the Spirit in you. According to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the moment a person trusts Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God comes in and dwells in us. And we, we have God from that day forward. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Um, according to the book of Romans, you've got peace with God, which you didn't have before you got saved. And, and now you have the peace with God. Why? Because that wall of enmity has been dropped. And now we, we have peace with him. Um, I believe that God, according to the scriptures, over, over at uh, Romans chapter 12, it says that God gave you at least one spiritual gift. It may be more than one. But at the time of salvation, he gave you something, he equipped you with something spiritually that you did not have before, and he gave that to you so you can, you can serve him. When God gave you the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14, it says we're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You know what that means? That means you can't get lost. That means you can't lose your salvation. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> I mean, that's a thrill. That's a thrill to know that. And, and again, God did that for you. You didn't ask him. In fact, at the time I got saved, I had no clue that all this stuff was going on. All I knew was I was asking God for mercy. I was asking God to save me. I was trusting him to forgive me of all my sins and give me eternal life. And he did that, that, that very thing. But he also did all these other things at the same time. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he sealed me with the Holy Spirit of God. And he, he wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And he forgave all of my sins. In other words, my past sins, my present sins, my future sins, all of my sins are gone. And he did all that at the moment of salvation. Then what did God do after salvation? Of course, we're not, we're, we're not even touching the hem of the garment here, but we're just giving you some things that God has done for you. Just like Joshua told uh, Israel all the things that God did for, for, for them, these are the things God did for you if you're saved. If, if you're saved, after you got saved, God gave you a new purpose. You have a new purpose for me to live as Christ, the Apostle Paul said, to die as gain. Uh, you have joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. You don't have that before you get saved. But after you get saved, you can tap into that joy. Uh, you have power over sin that you didn't have. You were, uh, sin was your master before you got saved. After you get saved, uh, you now have power over sin, not because of you, but because of the power of his resurrection. Uh, you have encouragement. Uh, there's, there's encouragement that God gives us along the way that we didn't have before we got saved. And, and you know, I look, I look over my shoulder and I look at the, at the various times in my life when I, I desperately needed to be encouraged and God knew just exactly 
wanted to give me the right kind of encouragement. Um, another thing God gave you, and, and this, this, this one takes a little bit of time, but God gave you new friends. I have friends today, you have friends today, that you wouldn't have had had you not trusted Christ as Savior. If, if, if you weren't saved, some of the very friends that you have today, you wouldn't even know who they are. Um, today, we have the privilege of, uh, after the church service, going out and uh, spending some time with Deborah Reed. As I told you this morning in the service, uh, Deborah and her husband uh, came to our church in Green Bay, and uh, they were members there. They became good friends of ours. And God really used them. In fact, some of that encouragement that came from God came through Matt Reed, her husband. And uh, there were several times when God really used Matt to be a, a, a blessing and an encouragement to my wife and I. And, uh, uh, but we, we never would have had her and her husband as friends if we hadn't been saved. But because we were saved now, you know, we were we were talking about when was the last time we saw each other. We, we came to the conclusion it was at least 20 years ago. Uh, but God's brought her back into our lives. We, we, we re reconnected. We had a wonderful time at lunch. It was just good. But but that kind of thing is only possible because of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done for us. You have answers to prayer and we can't even begin to mention those tonight. Um, just all kinds of, of opportunities that God has taken to answer our prayer and, and, and to fulfill those desires of our hearts. Um, God, God's given protection. And if you've been saved for very long, you can, again, look over your shoulder and you can see all the ways that God protected you. The Bible says, by his stripes we are healed. And I don't believe that that is talking first and foremost uh, physical healing, although I do believe that God does heal, and I've watched God do that. I've, got, watch, God watch, I've watched God in my own life take me through a couple of surgeries and, and uh, supernaturally provide for me. Uh, God's fulfilled promises in your life, and he's fulfilled principles and given you principles for living that you wouldn't have had had you not trusted Christ as Savior. And just like God did all those for you, uh, God blessed uh, Israel and, and uh, had given them all kinds of blessings. We have a nation that started out honoring God. America, uh, is, it, our, 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 our founding fathers did more than just acknowledge God. They begged for God to give them le leadership and guidance and direction as they put together the uh, Declaration of Independence, and as they put together the Bill of Rights, and as they put together the Constitution. And God led them and guided them and directed them in those things. And one of the reasons why we have the freedom and the liberty that we have today, and I realize we're seeing some of those liberties diminish. Well, let me tell you why. Because we're starting to turn our back on the God that did so much for us as a country in the early years. And what Joshua did is he gave these people a choice. And he said, listen, because of all that God has done for you, you have a choice. <clears throat> you, can either, you can either serve the gods that you know of, the gods of other people and of other lands, or you can serve the Lord. Um, there was some spiritual pressure on those people that day. Uh, and he, when he said, choose you this day, 
He wasn't saying mull it over and think about it and go home and, and uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe in, in, in the next few weeks you'll come up with a decision. He put pressure on him to decide right then and there. And he said, listen, you need to choose. You need to make a decision who you're going to serve. And it, it wasn't a choice of lifestyles. It was a choice of God's. And that's really what it boils down to. And there's no middle road. He said, look it, you're either going to serve you're either going to serve the gods of Egypt and the gods of the heathen, or you're going to serve the Lord God who did all of this that I just rehearsed to you that he did for you. And he pushed for a public commitment. Now, this public commitment, he wasn't, he wasn't talking to them about salvation. He was talking to them about the fact that because they had trusted him, because he had done so much for them, that now, now they, were, they were on the other side of victory. They, uh, they had seen victory in the promised land. They had captured the land. And he was concerned for them because he was concerned that now that they got that victory, and by the way, don't ever let your guard down in the Christian life. Understand that uh, it's easy. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. It's easy to slip. It's easy to fall. It's easy to... to uh, as just a step at a time, begin to go backwards rather than go forwards in the Christian life. He knew that. And so because of that, he challenged them. And, and again, this wasn't for salvation, but this was for keeping God as number one and keeping him as Lord. And he committed himself first publicly. He said, listen, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he got others to follow as a result of that. Uh, three times the people verbally agreed after his challenge to serve the Lord. Um, you know, when I say verbally, that means they did it together as a group and they did it in public. Uh, everyone else knew who did and who didn't decide to serve God that day. And, and it is important, and I believe it's important for us, that we make it vocal, that we make it personal, that, that we're, we make it clear to other people uh, by our life and by our verbal commitment to God that we're going to serve the Lord. I mean, Joshua gave him a warning, a warning, and I think this is the biggest thing that he was fearful of. If you look, look with me in, in uh, chapter 24, look down in verse 20. This is the warning that he gave. He says, if ye forsake the Lord... And serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. In other words, he's done so much good for you. And again, he rehearsed all those good things that he did. And, uh, and, and he said, listen, he says, after he's done you good, if you turn your back on him, if you let your commitment slip, then these are the things that are going to happen in your life. And, and uh, it, he was warning them not to serve other gods and to make sure that, that the Lord God was number one. Of course, you go back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and that's the admonition that's given there about loving the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, that's the number one thing. And we have, to, we have to work on that consciously on a day-by-day -day basis. 
because it's easy to serve other gods. You say, wait a minute, preacher, I, you know, I have no idols in my house. Uh, preacher, I have, I have no, you know, I have no uh, other gods that I serve. Oh, I think we do serve other gods. And those gods may, may not be as obvious as the gods were back in the Old Testament, like the, like the golden calf and so forth. But, but we serve other gods just like Israel served other gods at times. We serve the God of self, where we are the most important person in our lives. That's, that's, that is nothing but trouble. Uh, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He did not say, for me to live is me, but that's the way we live sometime, and that's serving another God. Uh, we serve the God of popularity. We're more concerned about what other people think than what God thinks. We serve the God of materialism. Uh, you know, it, it's strange, but, and, and it's, it's really not a good thing, but it's, but it's true. Uh, we're weak. I mean, really, as people, we are weak, and it's easy for things to get our hearts. It's easy for a car to get our hearts. It's easy for a boat to get our hearts. It's easy to put our, our heart wrapped up in a house or whatever material thing that you might cherish. And when we do that, we start to put those things before God and that those things become a God. Uh, the God of pleasure. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I hear things in the, in the Christian community, so to speak, uh, that, that just greatly disturb me. Um, some, some time ago, I heard uh, some Christians talking, and they were talking about, well, you know, God just wants us to have fun. Would you find that for me in the scriptures, please? Uh, it's not there. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to please him. We're not here for our pleasure. We're here for his pleasure. And, and, and you know, a lesson I learned years ago, or I have learned and, and continue to learn, is, is that when you live for God, you'll get pleasure over and above that what you'd ever imagine. You live for yourself, and you just get miserable. Does, does God want, want us to have a, a, a life that is pleasing and honoring to him? Yes, it, yes, he does, because he knows that that's the best life for us. Um, you could serve the God of work where work becomes more important, and that's happening more and more uh, in this day and age, where work is more important than church, and work is more important than family, and even more importantly than that, work is more important than God himself. And then you can serve the God of your family, where you actually put your family before God. You can serve the God of your own plans and your ideas. Uh, all of those things can get precedence over the Lord. If any of those things are in first place, then God is forsaken and, and we find ourselves serving other gods. When, when Joshua gave this, this challenge, choose you this day whom you, serve, whom, whom you shall serve, there, there are two levels of, of, of commitment that ended up filtering out of that challenge. Now, they all said that they would. But it's obvious by the results afterwards that not all of them lived up to it. There's, there's two levels of living for a Christian that I have found that most Christians live. No, the first one is where God gets his way. And, and God, righteousness, is the top concern. 
and you're more concerned about him and pleasing him than you are anything else. The second, the second level is God sometimes gets his way and you sometimes get your way. The problem with that is Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one. And what happens usually when we start splitting those loyalties, it's the loyalties of ourselves and the loyalties of our own desires that we begin to serve. What, what happened? to the next generation, because that's what, that is what Joshua's concern was. He was concerned that the next generation would, would uh, forget God. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges and go to chapter 2. This is not, not going to be a long message tonight. It's just a reminder. I think often we need to just be reminded why we're here, and what our dedication needs to be. Uh, is, again, I can't, I can't speak for you, but I think you've got the same pulls and the same temptations that I've got. Uh, it's easy to be derailed. It's easy to, uh, to have your affections turn a little bit. And uh, we have to be reminded on a regular basis that we're here to serve and to please and to honor God. Um, what happened to the next generation? Judges chapter 2, and look down in verse 10. It says, And also all that generation, the next generation, were gathered unto their father, or that generation was gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation, the next generation, after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. The problem was they didn't pass it on. And evidently, that next generation did not learn of all the things that God had done for the previous generation. That next generation did not see the love of God in, in, in the, the, the lives of the generation that preceded them. And you can see this even in the, the, the three generations, starting with Abraham. When, when Abraham was called of God, to follow the Lord and to just pull up the tent pegs and, and just trust God and go. There, there's a, a pattern that Abraham followed. And the pattern was wherever he went, he first built altars. And then secondly, he, he dug wells. So he, he, had, he had to dig wells for water, but he made sure he built the altars first. And the altars were built everywhere he went. He built altars and he dug wells. Then you get Isaac. Isaac comes along. And both of those things are done, but, it, but the priority seems to reverse. And Isaac digs wells and builds altars. And then the next generation comes along. Of course, that's Jacob and Esau. And Esau in particular we're going to look at. Esau didn't build any altars at all. And, and, uh, and Jacob's favorite was, was Esau. Uh, that's how we lose the next generation. It doesn't, it doesn't happen all at once, and it's not one great big, big uh, swooping change, but it happens just a little bit at a time. And I believe it, where, it, where it comes from is we forget the commitment that we ought to have. And that commitment is a serious commitment. Choose you this day whom 
you will serve. Um, our, our country, I've, you know, I was born in 1951. From then till now, I have watched our country slip a little bit at a time at first. And lately, I've watched those slips be a lot more drastic and a, 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 lot, a, lot, a lot faster. Um, I believe it's because we have lost the commitment that we used to have, and particularly God's people, that we used to have toward the Lord. And we're losing the next generation. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, we ought to not just seek his righteousness, but we need to seek him and his purposes first. What do we need to do? We need to choose us this day whom we will serve. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts tonight and, and help us to look at our own lives. Father, it's very, very easy. And, and I, I don't know that I'm, I'm observing any kind of a problem in our congregation or in our families necessarily. I just know the same thing that Joshua knew is what, what people's tendency is. And that is to slip and, and to let things, because we're not, we're not as diligent as we should be, we let some things slip and we let some things falter. And you know how to bring those things to our attention so that we understand that maybe we need to, to reinstate a commitment to serve you with all of our heart and to choose this day to serve you. Father, we need to be reminded often of the fact that we're not here for our own pleasure. We're not here for our own good. We're here for your pleasure and we're here for your good. And for, for us to live is Christ and to die is gain because of salvation. But Lord, you've done so much for us the day, you got, the day we got saved. You've done so much for us since we've been saved. You know, the least we... we Oh, you is our entire life and choosing to serve you, choosing to lead our families. Father, I pray that there be some dads tonight who would just decide that uh, me and my house, not just me, but I'm going to lead our house to serve the Lord. God, work in our hearts as only you can do. And Father, I pray that decisions would be made reinstated uh, reaffirmed to just simply want to serve you with all of our hearts. You're worth every single bit of our love and our devotion because you're our God and you've done so much for us. Bless this invitation. Please work in our hearts and as you tap on our heart's door tonight, I pray that we would respond in a way that's pleasing and honoring to you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's